Good morning. Good to see you here this morning. Um, there's three things I'd like to do this morning as we carry on with our series, looking at how our faith can build and develop through our walk with Jesus. And the topic I've been given to talk about this morning is pivotal circumstances, those moments in our life where perhaps everything changes. It would be fantastic if we'd had some examples of that this morning, but unfortunately, as always, church is never relevant. It's never about real people's lives. We've just had two people stand on stage and show how life can change so powerfully and sometimes so quickly. Two people sharing really powerfully what God's doing. And that's all about pivotal circumstances, moments when life changes. It might feel like it's changing for the worse. It might feel like it's changing for the better. But just how dramatically things can happen. And what I'd like to do in the next sort of 15, 16 minutes or so is to look at three different things around this topic. The first thing I'm just going to give, perhaps a relatively famous quotation from C.S. Lewis, the the Christian writer, about this. We're then going to look at uh, James 1, 2 to 4, what he says about this whole issue. Then we're going to look at a very famous part of Jesus' ministry, the death and resurrection and healing of Lazarus. So we're going to try to do three things quite quickly, but I think all of them tell us about pivotal circumstances and how they affect our day-to-day lives. So the first thing, this is what C.S. Lewis says. This is Lion, the Witch, and the the Wardrobe Writer, etc. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Say that once more. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Now, I know sitting here just looking into lots of people I know, I know quite a lot of you, perhaps all of us have had that moment when life stops dead for a moment, something awful happens, a breakdown of a marriage, an illness in the the family with a child, um, job problems, um, depression, illness, and suddenly the world sort of stops still for a second. We think, how are we ever going to get through that moment? I know there's lots of people here, it's perfectly normal to go through those situations. And I don't think C.S. Lewis is being sort of undermining of us here by saying that, you know, it's God trying to break into the world. He's not saying we are always deaf, because a lot of us are trying to listen to him all the time. I think what he's saying here is sometimes when something goes horribly wrong, it is a moment of reflection. We sat perhaps just in desperation, say, help, Lord. And that sometimes is all we can do. And that's what is quite normal for Christians to do as well. So in some of those situations we've, we've heard over recent months... There's a lot of people who might be just thinking, what on earth is going on? And asking for God to help us. Now, James 1, 2 to 4, which is on page 1213 in the Bibles, and hopefully will appear on the screen in a second as well. This is James's take on this whole process. It says this. This is James uh, 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Says this, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now again, that all sounds possibly, if you're in the midst of a terrible situation today, perhaps almost slightly trite. It might make you think, gosh, suffering's fine because it's making me a better person. It's helping to my, develop my faith. Well, you know what? I don't want my faith developing at the moment. I'd rather not be suffering. I'd rather that person in my life not be suffering anymore. Why should they suffer? And as we know, this is a massive topic for Christians and non-Christians. Um, you might have heard the, uh, the, the writer and presenter Stephen Fry. His, his main reason for not believing in God is how could childhood diseases occur if there's any sort of a God? And that to him is it. Open and shut case. There can't be a God because children die of cancer. How can there be a God? And that's it for him. And there's a lot of people out there who believe very similarly. If we've got this God in control, how can terrible stuff happen? And it happens all the time. And as our world, and a lot of people are questioning our world this week, there's there's many people rejoicing about what's going on in America, and there's a lot of people thinking, my goodness, there's interesting times ahead of us, and they're very sad about it. You might have seen on Facebook and media, people are trying to comment on it. Lots of Christians have been saying to our fellow you know, friends and colleagues over in America, either don't worry, God's got this all into control. And other people are saying, well, whether he has or not, I'm terrified about what's happening. I'm nervous, I'm worried. We can be very trite sometimes in our views about what God is doing or what not God is not doing. There are things that we can believe in this morning that, that God saves us, that our faith in God takes us to heaven, that we have eternal life. Whether God is blessing America or punishing America, whether he is in charge of those decisions are really, really complicated issues. And as Christians, we can sometimes make life harder for people by coming up with a sort of snap answer to something that is extremely complicated. In any way, often the easiest approach, and perhaps the best approach, is to look at what Jesus does, to study his work even more closely in these really interesting, stroke difficult, stroke scary times, depending on how you're feeling about Brexit, about Donald Trump's victory. Lots of people have been commenting that things come in threes and wondering perhaps what the next major event that's going to affect the world might be. So let's have a look at how Jesus deals with his very close friend Lazarus, his illness and death, in John 11, verses 1 to 43. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time going through everything, but I'm just going to signpost just some key moments of this perhaps quite familiar passage to you. It's, this is on 1077 if you've got your church Bibles. And this is such a significant incident. I think tells us an awful lot about pivotal moments because undoubtedly this was a pivotal moment for Jesus in all sorts of different ways. If you don't know the story, um, Lazarus was a very, very close friend of Jesus. And Lazarus's death undoubtedly hurt Jesus apt quite profoundly. It gives us the famous phrase that we'll come to in a few minutes, Jesus wept. The sorrow that Jesus felt for, for seeing the mourning of Mary and Martha, two of his very close friends as well, the death of a beloved friend, the suffering of the family. Jesus shows total compassion. And then, famously, Jesus heals Lazarus. But there's lots of complicated things going on in this passion. just want to look at six different aspects of perhaps a familiar story to focus in on this idea of how pivotal circumstances can change our faith. Just read the start of this very famous story, this, as I said, page 
1077, the death of Lazarus. Now, a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. Lord, the one you love is ill. Now, is this all for God's glory? Is this moment in Jesus' ministry all about the opportunity to heal? Is Lazarus being used for that purpose? Perhaps he is. Some, some scholars will say that's exactly what's happening. But Lazarus suffered and died and, and brought huge sadness to those around him. Is God glorified in our pivotal circumstances when things go wrong for us? Does, do people around us think, wow, just look at that family, how they're coping with this difficult circumstance? Or do we go into our shell? Do we, do we retreat from church? Do we stay away until things are better? In this case... It's very clear what happens as we move on. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. And again, the other big question for many Christians at that point is, hold on, you know this man is ill, go and sort him out, go and heal him. Everybody knew Jesus could heal at this stage, from it, certainly his closest followers. Jesus decided not to. He stayed until Lazarus had died, and that confused a lot of his friends and supporters and disciples. Why didn't he just heal him instantly? But there was a bigger purpose at work here as we move on. If we move on then to verse 11. Then he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They don't really understand what Jesus is saying. So then he told them plainly, this is verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe but let us go to him. But Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so we may die with him. Now on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now again, just think about that for a moment. This is someone who has seen a loved one die. She was coping with the disappointment that Jesus had not come earlier. She knew that Jesus could sort everything out. But even at that stage, the phrase is, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. There's huge faith there. You might ask yourself in those pivotal circumstances, do we feel like that? Do we feel even now in wherever I am in this difficult situation, however terrible it might be, even now I believe that God might act 
to heal, to sort it out, to bring new life? Or do we just give up at some point and think this is all too much, this is all too terrible? People who worked and lived with Jesus and, and, and listened to his words day by day, Martha had this huge faith to believe that he could do anything. Do we believe that or is it too much to ask? Is it easier to think this situation looks too bleak to imagine God might step in? Because sometimes he does step in as he does in this situation and sometimes he doesn't and that is difficult for us all to cope with and that's the challenge of the Christian life. Sometimes God comes in a blaze of glory like he does in this case and raises a man from from death. Sometimes he chooses not to and that's a very difficult thing and we can't be simplistic about this because it's deeply upsetting and deeply hurtful if people lose a loved one or a situation isn't resolved. We might have the whole church praying for a marriage and sometimes it does just fail and there's nothing we can do. But to have that faith that Martha has is a wonderful thing. And look at what Jesus says in reply to her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So Martha's thinking about the end of the world, the day of judgment. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I guess that's the question for all of us this morning. Do we believe that? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That by believing in him, we will live, even though in our human lives we will die, but we will have eternal life. We'll have a place in heaven. Do we believe that? Whatever the level of circumstances, whatever the level of pain and suffering, ultimately, we are going to heaven if we believe as Christians. And that sometimes helps to put the suffering in context. The final destination is a wonderful one, a place where there is no suffering, there are no tears, where we have new bodies. And that's what Jesus is pointing us to there. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So in this terrible suffering, losing a close loved one, it's extraordinary that Martha's able to see that Jesus is the only hope for her people and eventually for the rest of the world, for the people of Israel and for the whole world, that this man is the Messiah. She uses that word. The saviour, the one who brings hope. Even in that pain, she still sees the hope of Jesus. And again, that's the question perhaps for us to think today. Even in the midst of that terrible suffering, can we hold on to that? But I think almost as important as that, in this amazing passage, we've got Jesus offering hope to the world through this situation. But we also see how I believe God deals with our suffering as well in this next little section. This very, very famous section when Jesus carries on and discovers the extent of suffering that's taken place. So this is carrying on from verse 28. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's genuine, you know, sadness and anger and disappointment there. And that's what the Psalms just tell us. The Psalms are full of people crying out to God, why didn't you help in that situation? Why weren't you there? Why has Israel fallen to an enemy again? And that we've got a God who can cope with that. We don't have to button it all up and, and be very British about it. It's fine to cry out and say, we're really hurting. This is a terrible thing. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is God on earth. And he's not saying, okay, enough now. Let's move on. This is my agenda. He's touched and troubled and moved because he understands the pain. He empathizes. He feels it. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And as I said, perhaps the most famous sentence, the shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. This is a God who is at the heart of our suffering. There's no easy answers or easy instructions. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So why did Jesus wait until this moment to heal Lazarus? Why didn't he go and heal him when he was not so sick? Why did he wait for him to be died? Well, this is the point where Jesus announces his ministry very publicly. The Jewish people who were there, there were lots of witnesses in quite a few of the incidents earlier in this gospel. Jesus says if he does heal someone, don't tell anybody about this. Keep this a secret. This, it's, not, it's too early for you to tell. Now, most people couldn't do that because they were so amazed to be healed that they would go to the synagogue or they'd say to their friends. But at this point, Jesus knows it's ready in front of all these Jewish people. Lazarus was a very known pillar of the local community. This was his time to announce the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus knew this was raising the stakes in his ministry. And he knew this story would go around the Israelite world. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So this extraordinary moment, interesting, the very next, this little subheading in the next part says, the plot to kill Jesus. This is going to transform Jesus' ministry because he's literally, death has lost its sting. He can raise people from death to life. So pivotal, pivotal circumstances in our lives can transform us. We can know more about God's power. 
but they can also bring us down. We can lose our faith. We can be shells of ourselves because it's too much to cope with. We need to support the people around us. We need to support the church. Jesus accepts those feelings of disappointment. No one gets told off for being cross with him or disappointed because this is a God who understands human grief and shares it. There's so much to take from that message of Lazarus. So wherever you are today, I'm sure you've tasted one of those pivotal circumstances we've entered to. Let's just spend a moment in prayer before we carry on with the service and just bringing those circumstances to God and to pray that he would use them, particularly if there's circumstances ongoing, for his glory. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. You are a God who wept. Wept over human suffering. And there is still so much suffering going on today in our congregation, in the world, in the countries of the world, countries that are feeling uh, bereft of support and love. Countries where people are still starving, countries where there's civil war, countries like Syria that are suffering massively at the moment. And Lord, it's sometimes difficult to know what on earth we can do as Christians in these difficult situations in our life. But we pray, Lord, that we would recognise your power, that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the hope for this world and you're the hope for us as individuals. And we pray, Lord, in whatever situations we face at the moment, that you will be with us, comforting us and guiding us and building our faith that we may be able to cope with the challenges that we face at the moment. Help us to support one another. Help us to love one another through those challenges. And like you, to listen, to, to, to help, to weep with the people around us who are suffering. And Lord, where you can and where you choose to, bring comfort and healing. But Lord, we pray that you would build our faith in all the circumstances of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.